Well, before we get going on this week's episode, I wanted to mention that Elizabeth and I have just launched a new project. And I know we've had many people ask about Elizabeth and why she isn't on this show. While this new project is driven mainly by Elizabeth, it's a new podcast called Beyond a Shadow. And Beyond a Shadow is true stories about crime, mysteries, and social injustice. Now, we've got a link on the Adventure Rider Radio website down the right-hand side, but the website is www.beyondashadow.org. And if you like it, please give us a hand in getting the word out by sharing it, rating it, you know, go on iTunes and, and rate it or on Facebook or wherever you want, and just generally telling others. We'd really appreciate it if uh, you help us get the word out for this uh, new project that we're working on. Now, on today's episode of Adventure Rider Radio, we have Steph Jevons. She's returned from her four-year round-the-world trip on a Honda 250 that at one point she rode on the beaches of Antarctica. Seriously, she did that. Just weeks ago, she returned to her starting point, the Ace Cafe in London. Now, we're going to talk about Steph's trip and uh, a whole bunch of things to do with it. But it's really good if you've ever considered doing a long trip. It's interesting to get the mindset that Steph has and, and what she learned. I mean, she was sort of um, very nervous leaving the Ace Cafe. And then when she's returned, she's sort of returned this season adventure. We got a lot we're going to talk about, including a small adventure bike. And she's probably not going to give the answer that you're expecting. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bee Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method, and the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. <laughs> Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ruff. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeVell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any bag into motorcycle luggage with this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding, which has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com It was 2014 when Steph Jevons rode away from the Ace Cafe in London, England, feeling nervous and sort of uncertain about the journey that she committed to publicly. The realization that she was on her trip at that point was overwhelming that day as the onlookers stood watching her back and her motorcycle get smaller as she disappeared down the road to who knows what. And now, just weeks ago, Steph rode back into the parking lot of the Ace Cafe, effectively completing her three-year round-the-world trip in just four years. And that little Honda that she rode to all points around the globe was sort of barely cooled down before Steph was thinking about her next adventure. No doubt, somewhere on the road, she picked up the bug. The bug is that infection that riders get when the dust stains their jackets and their passports get filled with stamps of exotic lands. When motorcycle travel morphs from an adventure into a way of life. Okay, uh, my name's Steph Jevons and I'm from North Wales and I have just finished a four-year round-the-world solo uh, adventure ride. 
through on seven continents through 53 countries. Steph, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you again. Well, and last time we talked, it was, it was April 2016. I, I went back and looked to, to be sure. Is that and when it was? It was, yeah, April. And you were, um, you're sort of, I, I guess you're, you're at that point now, looking back, you were sort of in the middle of things because you were in British Columbia, I believe, and you were um, uh, getting ready to, to do that last leg to Africa. But for those who don't know the story, what got you on the road to begin with? Well, um, I'd always wanted to do a big trip, I suppose, and uh, I was into motorbikes uh, when I was when I was younger. I had my son very young, and so I, I had to grow up very quickly. And so I always had this thing of wanting to one day escape and have my and have my freedom, I guess, you know. Um, and so, you know, I. It was something that I couldn't do straight away. I had to wait till my son was was grown up, and when he was twenty, it was like, okay, right, see you later, son. I'm off, and um, <laughs> and he kind of gave me a hug and said, "Good on you, man. Why not? Off you, <laughs> off you go." Uh, and it was meant to be a, a much shorter trip than it was, but um, you know, these things kind of roll on, and and you just you just kind of go for it. And, and a two year trip became a four year trip before I knew it. So, is that a cultural thing where you're from the motorcycle and taking off on an adventure on a motorcycle, or is it just the idea of getting away and bike happen to be your choice? Well, doesn't everybody have a, a dream at some point of just escaping and running well, away? I, I and, think so, but not by motorcycle necessarily. Yeah, no, maybe not by motorcycle. But um, for me, I'd always been into bikes, you know, and uh, I, I love bikes. I'd, I passed my test when I was 21, but when I was a, a young rebel teenager, I was one of those on the back of the lads as well. So i uh, always been around bikes. My parents were into bikes and still are, actually. Um, and so it just seemed like the obvious choice to me. Uh, I started working in the motorbike industry back in 2008, and that became an even more, you know, more reason to do it. And, and I worked with some very uh, inspirational people, I guess. And, and so I thought, well, hey, if they're doing what they're, they're chasing their dreams, they're, they're just going for it. So why shouldn't I? And, uh, and um, so I did. I just set a date and, and went for it. I had no idea how I was going to do it or if I was the sort of person that could do it. But I wanted to find that out. So off I went. Turns out I am. <laughs> Did you leave on a grand adventure? What was it? Um, you know, this grand adventure that you planned, or was it just getting out? No, I, I kind of turned it into a grand adventure in my head. So, um, I, you know, I, I'm not a wallflower, and I do like to, to you know, if you're going to do it, why not go the whole hog? And um, I originally it was the dream. Originally, wasn't a grand adventure. It was just to to, to ride around and and have fun. But then I started building it up and. Um, as I always say, I had a couple of tequilas too many and, and decided I was going to ride to all seven continents. And once you start telling people you're going to do something, you've got to kind of do it, right? So, um, so yeah, and, and I started, like I said, I started telling people not only my friends, but the motorbike manufacturers and people in the industry. And so it started becoming a bit of a thing. And so I had to just go for it. And uh, I'm so glad I did. You know, there was so many uh, reasons why I shouldn't have been able to get to seven continents and financially logistically but because I, I couldn't turn back because I told everyone so uh yeah and what a ride it was it was brilliant well I remember talking to you about that before we talked about public declarations and often there's no better way to force yourself to do something than tell everybody hey look I'm going to do this because you look like an idiot if you don't if you don't exactly yeah, yeah. and I can remember and I think I told you talked to you about it last time I can remember leaving the Ace Cafe thinking I'm a fraud these people think that I know what I'm doing I haven't got a clue. I'm, I'm wobbling out of the car park and I don't know if I'm going to make it past Germany, you know. <laughs> um, and, and even in Germany, I dropped my bike and my dad said to me the other day, he says, I remember you calling me from Germany um, when you dropped the bike and the throttle had got stuck. It had landed hard and the throttle had got stuck. And he said, uh, I, I just heard the panic in your voice, you know. And he thought, uh-oh. <laughs> and I was, I was in total panic. I thought, I can't do this. I cannot. I was lying in a lay-by in Germany going, this was a silly idea. So, <laughs> but uh, we kept going, and that's all you got to do, really, isn't it? You just got to keep going. So now, are are you uh, sort of a seasoned adventurer now? To do you find things just roll off you that wouldn't have before? Seasoned adventurer. Well, I do like the sound of that, um, and and yeah, things do roll off me a lot more. But I think when you get home, your mindset changes again. You've got to remind yourself of the mindset that you had on the road, it seems easier to deal with things on the road. I think um, you 
you just get into this, you get on a roll and you think, oh, it's all good. It's all part of the adventure. The amount of times I've said that to myself, you know, it's all part of the adventure. And when I'm at home, I'm kind of, I get easily more irritated by things or, or, you know, somebody pulls out on me in, in, a, in a car of a junction and I'm like, ah, and then I have to sort of stop and tell myself, oh, you were riding through Cairo a couple of months ago where that's, that's the norm, you know, um, take it in your stride and, and you have to just sort of get yourself back into that mindset. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, not much phases me on the road. That's, that's for sure. Because, uh, anything ha- can happen and, and invariably does, you know. It's interesting you mentioned that uh, about coming back and having to deal with sort of falling back into your normal routine. We've often talked about that, you know, with um, different people who have traveled like yourself, gone for a long time and then come back. And I, I know that everybody struggles with that, bringing, bringing what you learned on the road, that personality you developed, I mean, a slight change in your personality you developed back home. Do you see any way, I mean, you've been, you've been there for, you've been home for two weeks now, right? Yeah, well, three weeks now, I guess. Okay, yeah, three so, weeks so three weeks you've been home. Um, are you seeing it fade that quickly? I mean, do you see any way that you can hold on to that adventure attitude that you had? Well, I think just being aware of it helps you and then and then reminding yourself and being adamant with yourself that that's the person you want to be. Um, uh, and then you really have to make an effort, I think, to keep hold of it. Um, and... and you know, I, I definitely I see a change. I do see a change in myself, and I've I've come back, and I and I am more relaxed and a happier person, and um, maybe more tolerant. Uh, little things, but but uh, we'll see as time goes on. We'll see how I cope with it, you know, and how, whether I'm going to revert back on it. I hope not. Um, you know, I spent a lot of money and time uh, <laughs> to make these changes, so uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think you just have to be aware of it, you know. Um, yeah. So are you now being home three weeks? Are you looking at the next adventure? Are you already pulling out the map and thinking, hmm, what can I do? I'm, al- I'm already looking at the next adventure, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm seriously looking at it or not. Actually, no, I think I am. But I, I'd, like to, um, I'd like to have a bit of time at home. Uh, three weeks isn't very long, but uh, I, I don't know. It's just... Um, it's an addictive thing, you know, to keep on moving. And as much as I'm very happy being back in, in my caravan in Wales um, and really enjoying the fact that I don't have to pack and unpack. And actually, since I've got home, I've not looked at the motorbike. I've put it in the garage and I've, and I've not looked at it since. I, I'm not interested in my camera. Um, I'm not interested in, in Facebooking or blogging. Uh, all the stuff I've been doing the last four years and enjoyed doing, suddenly I'm just like, no, I, I don't want to look at it right now. But I have already started thinking about what I'm doing next, what what adventure I'm doing next. So, which I'm not going to tell you about yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew where I was going to go with that. Yeah, you well, did. I knew it was coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's go back a little bit because we t- we said we, last time we talked, you were in British Columbia. I think you were heading yeah. to Africa after that, were you? Or, or you, you know, you're going to cross the country first and then go to Africa. Uh, I was in BC, yes. Yeah. So I crossed the prairies um, and got to Toronto, and then I shipped from Toronto to um, to South Africa, and then I spent uh, about eight months in Africa altogether. So up the east coast, um, yeah. And I'm so glad because originally my plan was to to ship to Morocco and just touch the cheat, really, you know, touch touch the corner of Africa. And then ride home, but uh, I couldn't leave it. You know, I love Africa anyway, and, and I couldn't leave it unridden. So, uh, so last minute, I decided. Well, I, you know, while I was in Canada, I decided I was gonna, I was gonna go to to Cape Town and um, and and ride across. And uh, what a wonderful ride it was! I, I absolutely loved it. I always have to chuckle when I hear people like you, travelers, <laughs> say people stuff like me. I, was I, I, I knew you were going to go for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people like you, travelers. You, you mentioned, oh, well, I just figured I may as well ride the length of Africa while I was there. Like, give me a break. That's a, that is a huge continent. That's not just a day ride. I say that when I'm going to go, oh, maybe I'll, uh, you know, head into town for the day or something like that. Or, or maybe yeah. I'll head over to the next town. You know, that's how I talk about distance. But you have a different perspective altogether. Well, it is funny, and it is all about perspective, because, um, you know, it's funny, because when I got to Cape Town, oh, sorry, I actually shipped to Durban, not Cape Town, but when I got to Durban, I thought, well, I'm nearly home now, right? But for most people, traveling across Africa is a, is a trip of a lifetime, you know? Um, but for me, it's just like, oh, it's just this last continent, and I'm home, you know? Um, and 
uh, yeah, it's it's just all about perspective, I suppose. Um, you know, if I, I when I'm at home, I'm thinking, oh, that's I've got to, if I've got to drive to London, I think, oh, such a long drive. But that's that's less than I'd do in a day normally. So your perspective changes again. You know, what was it like riding across Canada? What did you think of the prairies? I loved it. Everybody said to me, oh, why are you riding across Canada? Why aren't you riding across the States? And well, I've been across the States four or five times, four times, sorry. And um, I was born in Canada and I wanted to see what the prairies were like. And I absolutely loved it. I got invited by a 13 year old lad who um, who uh, lived on a ranch there, uh, still does, and uh, with his parents. And he said, oh, I've got a CRF 250L like you as well. And I'd love it if you can come and visit. And my mum doesn't mind. And, you know, me and my friends will take you around on our so many thousand hectare property. And um, and so I couldn't resist. And I went to visit him. And uh, we rode horses. We rode motorbikes. We we had a real giggle. It was absolutely brilliant. I broke, I ran out of, I didn't break down. I ran out of fuel um, somewhere in the prairies. And, uh some old boy comes along and, and refills my, you know, everyone was so friendly and lovely. And it was very windy um, because it was still spring, very early spring. I got, uh, you know, I'd set my tent up and in the warm evening and wake up with snow on my tent and that kind of thing. In fact, I looked so rough one morning. I um, I just got out of my tent. There was a bit of snow on the ground and I was like, oh, you know, and I must have looked so bad because this old couple stopped the car came over and gave me $20 and said, go and get yourself some breakfast. <laughs> I was like, how oh, do I look that bad? Wow. And, um, and they were like, yeah, yeah, there's a Tim Hortons over there. You know, go. <laughs> That's a real slap in the face. Get yourself a coffee. Yeah. They didn't see your motorcycle sitting there. They did. Yeah, no, they saw the motorbike. They just, I just think they just thought, oh, poor thing. <laughs> she probably can't afford a camper van is probably what they thought. Why so early in the spring? Why would you cross then? Because I was impatient, and that's what I do. I, I um, people were saying, "Well, it's too early to cross Canada yet," and and I, but I was fit, and I'd had some injuries. I was fit and healthy again, and uh, you know, a bit of sunshine had come, and I was like, "No, I'm going for it." So um, it wasn't. It didn't turn out too badly. It was. Uh, it was. It was quite a nice ride. Bit of a chill in the air, and like I said, the odd bit of snow, but the snow melted very quickly. So it was all good. It was all good. You said uh, you had some injuries. You went through quite a few number of health issues. Yeah, well, um, I had a I had a well a couple really. I had a, a, a frozen shoulder, and um, my my spine um, became quite. Uh, I ended up with stenosis in the spine, so um, I had to have seventy seven injections in my in my spine and and several in my shoulder. I couldn't move my arm uh, more than uh, a few inches either way, really. Um, and it took a long time, a lot of recovery. Uh, I also ended up quite anxious. Uh, they, they, they said I had pain anxiety because I kept getting these sharp pains shooting down my legs and, and through my arms and all that kind of thing. And, and it was a constant pain as well um, that I was very jumpy and uh, I didn't think I was going to finish. And, um, you know, a friend of mine at one point said, uh, you know, gave me a whiskey and said, uh, you know, it's time to finish. You've done enough. And, and I was just like, bah! <laughs> I can't finish. And and so I rested for a while and um, had a lot of treatment, a lot of physio, lots of swimming, went to the gym every day. And uh, eventually I got strong enough to, to go again. And um, and I'm so glad I did. And I was nearly ready to, my body was, by the time I finished Africa, my body was, was hurting again a lot, I must admit. But um, but I'm so glad I did it. And, and now I've just got to recover again <laughs> I well, don't know yeah. how many times I can break myself but and often that sort of know. thing I mean when you're not feeling well what you, you want to go home <laughs> you sort of I mean that's a, um, one of those things where most people would want to go okay that's it that's I'm done yeah yeah well you know it, it got to that point where I was pretty close but um uh I, I also knew that I'd regret it if I didn't finish and um uh I'm I'm so glad I I'm so glad I carried on. It was uh it would have been quite quite depressing, I think, if I hadn't finished what I set out to do. And at one point I did say in in Africa, my because my other shoulder started getting very bad and I said if it gets as bad as the last time, I'm not putting myself through that again. I can't do it. I'm stopping and I'm shipping home and I have done enough and it's fine. And I told myself that. But um it didn't really get any worse until the last sort of leg through Europe and so by then it was a Okay, you're nearly home now. Just keep going. You're good. So, even if you'd quit at that point, you'd had your bike to to Antarctica. I mean, has anyone else ridden a motorcycle in Antarctica? Do you, do you know that? They have, yeah. Um, they, they've ridden. 
People have, there's a couple of people who have got a bike to Antarctica but haven't done the seven continents. Hmm. Um, so I think there's probably four people in the world that have got a motorbike to Antarctica. Um, so, but, but to, to lap the globe and do, and do all seven continents, there's, okay, there's, there's a, a lady called Benka, is it Benka Pulko? Um, she did it a few years ago. Uh, she didn't actually ride the bike in Antarctica, but she did get the bike there. And to be fair, you know, <laughs> the hardest bit is getting the bike yeah. there. So we'll let her have that. But <laughs> and it had to be a woman too, didn't it? You know, because <laughs> um, that kind of blew it for me being the first woman in the world. But um, but no, what I mean is that's great, girl power. You know, I'm <laughs> really happy about about that. Um, but no guy has ever done it. So um, in all seriousness, no no guy has ever done it. So. Um, so that's still there for the taking. If anybody's, uh, if any guy's listening, and, somebody's and looking for a first. For that. Yeah, somebody's looking for a first. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I remember you mentioning that um, people had asked if you'd ridden to the pole, and and of yeah. course, um, your riding, I guess, was restricted to a beach. Yeah, uh, to a beach and to a Ukrainian science base. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. And the rest of it was all about drinking lots of alcohol and having fun. Yeah. So. Uh, um, we, we didn't do any, any serious, I mean, it would have taken a, a, an amazing amount of effort and backup and helicopters and, all, and <laughs> fuel dumps to get to the pole. But hey, you never know, maybe next time, right? That's, well, yeah, that, that could be your next adventure, definitely. We're going to take a two-minute break and be right back, but stay with us. We have a lot more. Steph's going to talk about an incident she had in Africa where a guy tried to pull her off her bike, which was probably the, the worst thing that I think she had to deal with. But anyway, stay with us. A lot more. I was riding my KLR one time down a, a sort of a, a dirt road. Well, it's a trail, really. Sort of a two-track. And uh, it had rained and there was a bunch of water on the roads. There were some pretty good puddles there. I was splashing through some puddles and I think I got a little excited because I hit the puddle a little bit faster probably than what I should, but nothing nothing extravagant. What really shocked me was I went through the puddle and the, the tire blew the water up in such a way that it actually blew my feet off the foot pegs. You know why that happened? Because my foot pegs were rubber. They were the stock foot pegs. You got to get rid of those. You got to get yourself a quality set of foot pegs. And IMS Products is not only a sponsor of this show, but they also make incredible foot pegs for adventure motorcycles, just like the one you're riding and the one I'm riding. I'm using their pegs now. I'm telling you, they make all the difference. Not just a wider peg, a well-designed peg. 16.4 cast certified stainless steel, made in the USA, warranted for life. You will not go wrong replacing your stock foot pegs with a quality set of IMS pegs. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. Have a look at what they've got there to offer. They've got everything from a slightly larger peg to a huge peg. www.imsproducts.com. And of course, when you're dealing with them, definitely throw our name in there. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. If you're a woman or you know a woman rider, maybe your significant other, you want to check out Carrie Doherty's company called Moto Bird Adventures. Uh, Carrie Doherty runs Moto Bird Adventures in California, and she's a certified California motorcyclist safety program instructor. By the way, I might say that this sort of gives an indication of what uh, success Carrie is, is having with this. April and May trips sold out. So you got to move fast with this. www.motobirdadventures.com. There's still space on the June and August trips. Just a $300 deposit to hold your spot. Now, she runs trips for women, and it's run by a woman. So you can feel comfortable going out and, and just enjoying yourself. Anyway, June, she's got a four-day tour exploring the coast of California. Paved roads only, accommodations, and some meals included. A vineyard trip as well with that. There's a five-day tour on the lost coast of California. That sounds very cool. Mostly paved roads on that one with some off-road. Uh, more isolated and rugged and uh, sort of a digital detox, she says. Um, sounds very good. Accommodations and meals are included. Drop by our website. Check out what she's got. If you know somebody who's a woman that wants to get on their trip and have a good time, www.motobirdadventures.com. And of course, anytime you're talking with her, let her know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And if you're passing along to somebody, make sure you tell them too. Adventure Rider Radio. When you went to Africa, when you left North America and went to Africa, was it your first time to Africa? No, it wasn't. No, I'd been to um, 
I bet a couple of times, yeah. I used to run motorbike tours in Morocco. Oh, and, right. I uh, forgot that. So Morocco, though, that's that's one thing. But but riding up through Africa, was that like the, was it as big of a deal as, as a lot of people would say it is? And I'm not saying it isn't, but it, was it as big of a deal for you after riding all the distance that you did, all the countries that you have? Ooh, depends what you mean by a big deal, really. Um, well, did it make you, people- was it apprehensive for you? Oh, apprehensive? Not really. Um, South South Africa is is um, uh, when I got to South Africa, a lot of people were saying to me, you know, you, you're going to die. You're crazy to to ride across. And a lot of people outside of South Africa were worried about me um, riding across because people imagine Africa to be this terrifying place where. You know, as the South Africa, a couple of people said to me in South Africa, you know, you'll get raped and murdered and pulled from your bike and, and, and you know, not necessarily in that order. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but and, and I would say, well, you know, I, I just choose to be, choose to believe I'll be OK. But by then I was used to people saying stuff to me, you know, we're OK, but watch out for them. They'll kill you, you know. Mm. Um, you know, uh, being a woman on my own, people assume that I'm going to be vulnerable and that people are going to take advantage of me. And, um, that's what I found is that's not generally the case. So, um, I wasn't too worried, uh, maybe a little bit apprehensive, a little bit excited. And and I should feel like that for every country, every continent has its own challenges, you know? So, um, and, and as far as the actual, uh, execution, um, the, the actual ride, it was, wonderful i didn't have any trouble um from from people uh well apart from one very minor incident but um well are you referring to the the guy in africa that um sort of tried to drag off your bike why don't you just tell us that yeah um yeah so uh i was in botswana and uh i'd i'd pulled up at the garage and i was i'd bought a a local sim card and i'd i was checking i've sat on a log trying to sort it out and this guy comes along and starts talking to me and he sits on the log next to me but he sits so so close that he's touching my arm our arms are touching and um so i i sat i moved a little bit and uh he said um he starts talking to me and and then he says i i I like i like white women and i was like that's nice he says, "No, no, I love white women." I'm like, "Okay, well, that's very nice." And I thought, "Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave." He says, "You must stay with me, or I come with you, or something." And I thought, "Okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna time to leave, maybe." So I start uh, walking away, and I put my helmet on, and he says, "No, you must, you must come with me." And he grabbed me and went to pull me away, and I pushed him so hard that he kind of fell over, and um, I thought, "Uh oh!" So I, I jumped on my bike, and he jumped up and tried to drag me off my bike and then a load of guys came running over and I thought oh are these guys with him or with me I'm not sure that split second you know and um of course they were they came and dragged him away and uh as I as I went to pull away um I went good luck with those white women and start riding (laughs) start riding off and uh they let him go but he runs after me and he's chasing me down the road you know as I'm trying to navigate the traffic by now uh, I'm just watching him getting smaller and smaller in my mirror. So. <laughs> but it, it wasn't a scary thing. I, in fact, the only thing I thought when he tried to drag me off the bike was, "Don't if you make me drop this bike, I'm going to be very angry because it was so hot." You know, I wasn't thinking, "Oh no," or anything. It was. It, he was just a slightly crazy guy. He might have been drunk. I don't know, but uh, that was it. You know, uh, and if you can get across Africa and that is your only major event, then um, as far as people are concerned. You know, it's a very safe place, and I, I know things happen. Uh, uh, there's a somebody got mugged in Ethiopia not long after I. Some bikers got mugged in Ethiopia not long after I went through there. But I found it was um, you can get mugged anywhere, of course, and and um, it's just uh, unlucky. But uh, I found that Ethiopia was such a wonderful place, one of my favorite countries, in fact. When this guy's trying to drag you off your bike, are you kicking and screaming and yelling at him, or? You know, I just got, I'd managed to get the, the stand up. So um, I was now holding the bike in position, you know, holding its, the, the balance. And um, as he tried to grab me, I'm just, just wrestling, trying to hold the bike. I couldn't really even do much apart from try and hold the bike up. And that's all I was thinking was, don't make me drop this bike. You know, <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> and before he had a chance to do anything or, or to drag me off, then, like I said, these guys were here. And uh, and dragging him away. So, 
um, yeah, it really was no so big the, deal. You, at the time though, you're not, you know, you weren't really scared. The heart's not pumping. No, I, no, not really. You know, the only times that I've had, um, issues with, with guys, um, or anything like that, really, you don't, it, they've never, it's never put me in a point where I'm, I'm frightened. I'm just dealing with it. Um, it's only afterwards that you think, oh, that could have been nasty, you know. Um, but you just deal with it as as it happens. And I, I hear a lot of women, well, a lot of women ask me, a lot of people ask me, you know, what, what's it like as a woman and don't, didn't you get hassled? And, oh, when I went here, I got this hassle or that hassle. And I think it's, again, it's about, no, it's not all about perspective, don't get me wrong, but I, I think that, you know, if you think, if you think of yourself as uh, a vulnerable victim um then you're going to panic and uh, but i i think it's something that you can get used to um uh hey i grew up in wales you know it was like <laughs> we, <laughs> we used to dealing with, we used to sort of uh telling them off and um <laughs> i i think i mean in all seriousness uh I, I it's hard to know how to say this without it sounding like um other people are being dramatic i i just i just think you at the time you deal with it and then it's over before you, before it's really even started, you know? Um, but it's very rare that, that you get hassle like that. Um, people, I think the motorbike helps people don't, and, and all your gear, you know, people don't see a vulnerable woman. They see somebody who's, who's getting on with life who, and they're interested. They're not going, Oh, what can I get out of her? You know, it's not generally how people think as a rule. Um, 95% of people are there getting on with their life. Um, they're not looking for those opportunities. So, are there things you do different than a male traveler would do? I mean, do you ride along with somebody? You must have met up with other people and ridden for some time with them. Do you find you do you handle things differently, or maybe you you approach things differently? Um, no, I think anybody who's traveling, who's traveled for a while, male or female, has has a very similar approach. So it's a, it's a lot about smiling a lot. Um, in fact, I was talking to an old guy up in the mountains today who was nearly eighty years old, and he said. Uh, that he'd gone to France, not on a motorbike, he'd just gone to France, and um, that he now smiled more and tried to make people laugh more because the response, he was telling me a story about how he got a, how he got a baguette out of somebody in France when the place <laughs> was closed. But the, his point was that, um, you know, when you when you smile and you make people laugh, then people are more willing to, to help you or to, to stop and chat to you or to, you know, make you a baguette when actually they're really closed or... Um, and I think that it, the attitude, it, it's all about attitude. Um, and if you keep smiling, you know, I've been in a crowd of people who are staring at me uh, and it may initially appear, appear hostile, but um, they're all staring because they're interested and people kind of forget what they're doing with their face because they're just in awe or they're just amazed at this sight of this crazy woman on a motorbike. And I'm looking at them going, whoa, this is scary. Look at all these people staring at me. And if one person just smiles then everybody starts smiling and, and we all kind of go, we all sort of go, Oh, okay, this is cool. You know, and everybody relaxes. And, um, whether you're at a border or whether you're in a, surrounded by a load of, uh, people in a little village in Ethiopia or, or whatever, a uh, smile is contagious. And, um, it sounds, it might sound a bit corny, but it's very, very true. You know, you had a, a sort of an experience with that in Luxor, didn't you? In Egypt. Did I? <laughs> you did. You you you'd said that, that you'd you'd found that you, you know, I think a waiter tried to rip you off, and you you had um, some different experiences there where people just seemed to be trying to take advantage of you. And what you had said was that you found that if you sort of chuckled at them, laughed as they uh, yeah. as they approached you. Um, can you tell that story? Yeah. Well, um, Egypt was. Uh, you've been reading the blog, haven't you? <laughs> uh, it's all Egypt part of the was... research stuff. Yeah, thanks for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> to remind um, you of, of your story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where did I go again? Who am I? Sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I crossed the border from Sudan into Egypt, it was a, it was a very different story. So Sudan was um, I got so used to being relaxed with people and da, 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 and when I, and people generally not trying to rip you off, but coming into Egypt and, and Luxor, it was. Um, a different mindset. So I left my hotel room and to, uh, went back for something and there's a couple of guys in there. Um, and, and the same with the waiter who tried to charge me for, for, for my breakfast when actually it was included. And then I went off to the Valley of the Kings and there was all, all sorts of stuff going on. And, and um, I really got quite quite annoyed about it and irritated about it initially because I'd forgotten that that could happen when I've been 
all the way around saying and writing about people's positivity uh, and and friendliness and helpfulness and that and then this sort of hit me and it was like a slap in the face really but then I had to sort of sleep on it and start the day again afresh and 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 um you can turn people around who are even trying to rip you off if you kind of laugh at them or with them and kind of go, hey, come on, you know, I, let, let's, you know. And it, it, does, it does make all the difference and people can, can turn around quickly. They, they often sort of smile knowingly and say, all right, then, you know, you're reset. On to me. Yeah, you're on to me. We're on a level now. Let's move on. And, and it, it changes things. So I think it's all about attitude and perspective. Do you do that still at home now? <laughs> you're probably uh, yeah. you're probably less forgiving at home. I, I, you're right. I probably am less forgiving at home. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're quite right. Although this is again something that I'm I'm determined to keep hold of. You know. So let's see how I do. <laughs> you wrote into the Ace Cafe and and those who listen to this show. We we just did a, a piece on Ace Cafe some weeks back, a few weeks back, and uh, I think people have an idea of how incredible that place. It's actually my favorite cafe I've never been to. Uh, <laughs> but you wrote into the Ace Cafe because you left the Ace Cafe, as you said before, and you, you wrote away feeling like, you know, that you were a bit of a fraud leaving on this big adventure and all these people. And actually, I remember you saying now, as I said that, I remember you saying about the feeling of you, you, you locked eyes with a friend, I think it was, and you were almost That's pleading right. with them, you know, as if find me an excuse not to go. That's right. Yeah. So what yeah. was it like to come back to, to Ace Cafe? Well, I kind of imagine coming back to the Ace Cafe as being like this big deal. Like, uh, wow, look at me. I've made it. I'm going to cry. I'm going to, you know, what, what an awesome feeling that's going to be. And, I, and you know, I, I was, in fact, I was talking to a friend the other day and I said I, I felt like I should have rehearsed what I was going to say because <laughs> <laughs> I rode in and it was so cold that day. It was freezing cold. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. There was snow on the ground and uh, it was pretty, pretty cold day. And I rode in and uh, the Overland magazine editor, Paddy, uh, Paddy Tyson, he, he came over and greeted me. And a lot of people quite gathered around and started filming and they all had their cameras up. And I, was, and I sort of just got off the bike and went, hey, Paddy, how's it going? Oh, that was a cold ride, you know, and that was about <laughs> it. And I was thinking, where's my cup of tea and my bacon butty? And... Um, and there was no, there was no tears. There was no jumping for joy. There was, it was just like, oh, the relief that I'd got off the bike after such a cold two-hour ride from from the port, from New Haven. Um, to be honest, I, yeah, that was it, really. Although later on, we had, um, we had, we all gathered around for some photographs and stuff, and and this guy started playing. He was somebody that had been following me for a while on on the blog. And he uh, he got the bagpipes out and started playing the bagpipes, and it was something that he'd promised I'd forgotten, but he'd promised he was going to do turn up at the Ace and play the bagpipes when I when I arrived. Very home. cool. And he did, and and everyone was cheering, and the bagpipes went, and then I felt very emotional. Um, I, I felt like I wanted to cry at that point because I could see all my friends' faces, the people that had come to France in the freezing cold to ride me in even though I told them not to because it was just ridiculously cold my parents who'd come all that way um to support me and and, and ridden in and um that was pretty emotional that was like yay check me out I did it you know um but if I'm honest actually when I got to Cairo I had more of that feeling um getting to the end of, of the seventh continent I remember riding in and going oh wow actually I've done it haven't I this is it this you know it. so um yeah. So that I think maybe I'd been through all that already, and coming home, um, I expected to be kind of quite depressed about now, you know, uh, because I know a lot of people are uh, after a big adventure, and and I think you know every day every every day is changing, um, and when you get home, everything's the same. Every day is the same. It's not so exciting, and what becomes the norm on the road, you suddenly realise isn't the norm for most people, um, but. You know, I, I don't feel depressed right now. I feel quite happy. Um, my body was ready to stop, and I think it was just a really good time to for it all to to finish. You know, this particular trip. I don't feel like uh, it's just a chapter that, that's closing, and a new one's just beginning. And 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 that is is quite exciting for me. Although I have no clue what's in the next chapter, but <laughs> it's kind of exciting. You know, I, I've never been worried about the the unknown. It's never worried me too much. What do you feel you accomplished on the trip? Coming back when you're all done, you know, what do you sort of sit back and say, okay, I, I did it. I mean, it's the seven continents, yes, but what else? Yeah. Well, 
I feel like I've proved something to myself. I wanted to know if I, like I said at the beginning, I wanted to know if I was the sort of person who could do this. Um, and it was just a challenge that I set myself. It could have been anything, I suppose. But I wanted to be the sort of person who set, who stuck to her word. I wanted to know that I was the sort of person that, that didn't hide behind other people, um, that could make her own decisions and that wasn't frightened to go with them. Um, and... You know, like I said, I'd run tours in Morocco before, but and I and I was in charge of those tours, but I always had a team around me, so a good team around me. So, if you know things started going wrong or things got got a little bit dodgy or you know decisions had to be made, then I always had people around me, and that changes, that can change things. You know, you never really know how would I have dealt with that differently had I been on my own, and. Um, and I'm quite proud of, of the way I've dealt with things. Um, so I guess that's what I've accomplished. I've, I've proved something to myself and, I, and I'm quite, quite happy with the results, really. Do you feel that it takes a special person to do this sort of adventure? Or do you think it's something that you, it's almost like going through school? Yeah, I, I, th- I think it is almost like going through school. I don't think it takes a special person to do it. I think, um, oh, well, I've always said I think anyone can do it. Uh, although I know people, I, I know people who, who have started and, and not finished, but that also is a strong thing to do is to make the decision that, okay, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe they could have continued. But it has to be very important for you in the first place you, you, to do it. It's not always an easy ride. There are going to be challenges. Um, you know, you can get homesick, you can get sick, you can get injured. Uh, the, the, the motivation fades away. So sometimes you think, well, why, why was I doing this again? Uh, it takes some endurance to keep going sometimes because it's not all exciting, fun and games. Um, sometimes it's just boring. Sometimes you just want to change. You want to go and do something else and go home. Sometimes you want to wake up and know that your toothbrush is in the same place and not have to pack your bag again or not have to get on that motorbike, you know. Uh, and face new new things again, whether that's new faces, new new terrain, whatever. Um, but I think if it's something you really want to do, then yeah, anybody can do it. It's uh, it's not limited to a particular type of person or a special type of person. I think it just takes a bit of brute force and ignorance and uh, de- determination. Yeah, I get that of living out of a tent even just for a couple of months afterwards. It's not like you not like you don't want to anymore. It's just when you get back, you really appreciate that running water and the, you know, the, yeah. the, the amenities you have at home. And I think everyone should do, I don't mean everyone should ride around the world for four years, but I, I think everyone should put themselves in a position occasionally where they're away from their securities and their, and their safety and their comforts like running water and, and a bed for the night and all that, just so they can go home and appreciate a pillow again, you know, and a dressing gown. I so miss my dressing gown. <laughs> <laughs> That's pajamas okay. for us. PJs and dressing gown. Brilliant. Right. <laughs> but some of the stuff you've done is just so huge. Like even we just talked about going into Antarctica, landing with your bike and riding your bike. Just the idea, the logistics of doing that, of arranging it, of being bold enough. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think you had to actually transfer it from one boat to another but before it even got to the shore. I think you got on a Russian icebreaker. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you manage to do that? Like what gives you the sort of the gumption, the the backbone to do it? Ah, uh, to, e- to even just start thinking that you can do it. You yeah, mean, I mean, even start doing it. It's just It just seems like such a huge deal. You're one person well, by yourself with your bike. But you're not, though, and that's the thing, right? I think that the, the thing, you're not by yourself. So the getting it on the boat, as you said, as an example, getting it to Antarctica, I mean, okay, it was a crazy idea. But as long as you start rolling with the idea, um, then people will come along and people love a trier. And uh, if, if I say, hey, I'm going to try and, you know, get my motorbike to Antarctica, uh, you just take one step at a time and then before you know it, it's rolling and then somebody comes along and says, hey, I know how you can do that. How I, I know how I can get to this bit and, um, and so on and so forth. And then as soon as you get so far, that little bit further and a little bit further, more and more people will join in saying, wow, look what she's trying to do. That's cool. Hey, I, I know I can help. Here's whatever, you know, here's an extra pair of hands or um, here's a tequila that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> Those little extras. 
So it's not about just me doing it on my own, but it's, it's you know, I started the ball rolling and then people come along and join in and help out and uh, and make things possible. And, and, and that's the beauty of, of, of these ideas. And, you know, um, it, it, the only difference between me and, and the person who didn't do it is that they, they thought that it wasn't possible because they couldn't see all the answers before they started moving and they decided to walk away. Um, and uh, sometimes it doesn't always work. You don't always get where you're trying to go, but uh, if you don't try, you never know, right? So that's part of it is you, you decide you want to do something first, regardless of how difficult or convoluted the route may seem to be, and then wait yeah. for things to come into line. Exactly, yeah. Or not quite wait for them to come into line, but just keep moving until they do, you know, and uh, yeah. As you said, a lot of people have helped you along the way. Was that something you had to learn to to accept the help from other people? Because I think for a lot of us, it's difficult um, to say, okay, I, I can't do this particularly on my own or or having someone help me would really uh, be a huge bonus. No, I've never I've never had a problem accepting help from others. <laughs> well, that's good. You... I, I'm, I always call myself a guilty feminist because uh, I'm rubbish at mechanics and, and um, you know, uh, I don't mind someone holding a door open for me, for example. I love it, in fact. And uh, I like to be in control. I like to to sort of get out there and, and do my own thing. But I'm not out to prove anything, and um, apart from to myself. And I know I'm quite, I'm quite aware of my limitations. And therefore, if someone's willing to help me do something that I'm pretty sure I can't do, then then great. I, then I just say, yes, please, thank you very much. That, that would be wonderful. Um, and so, although having said that, you know, I, I do have, I do realize I am aware of the fact that I do have moments where I go, okay, I can do it. I know what I'm doing, you know, so, <laughs> so, but, um, but no, often, often you can't, we can't go around, we're not islands, right? We can't go around just, uh, having, you can't do everything ourselves. Some people have got better, better skills and, and whatever. And so it, it's give and take and, and trade for trade and, you know. Any story you hear of anyone who's ridden around the world, if you really look at it, it's been sort of a collaboration of others that have got them around the world. Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. You, you can't do it on your own. And, and that's without part of it, doubt. isn't it? I mean, interacting yeah. with those people, that, that's really what the adventure is. Otherwise, you're just riding a motorcycle down roads. Yeah, and, and you're giving back as well. One thing I, I realized was that, you, you know, if you, you stay in a house with someone who's offered you a free place, and often in the hospitality all around the world has been amazing, um, but you're giving back in a sense that that they maybe can't get to Wales, for example, and stay in a caravan and uh, and check out our beautiful mountains that you called hills earlier, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and they they can't get to it. They'll never know what it's like to live in Wales. They'll never know what the Welsh people are like. But as they are sharing and teaching me about, I don't know, Iranian people or wherever you are. Um, you're giving back to them in the sense that you're a window to another part of the world and another culture. So you share your stories and you and you share your your experiences and and um, and that's a great way to to give back. You know, is that a conscious thing you do where you get there and you figure I'm I'm going to have to give them some entertainment for this, or do you, is that just the, the, you feel the you know the implicit exchange? I wouldn't quite put it like that. Oh, I'm going to have to give them some entertainment <laughs> for this, but but <laughs> but I do actually consciously try and do that in the sense that um, that yeah, I, I've got to be grateful for what I have and for my opportunities, and that I should give back, and that, that I don't have much to give back apart from sharing what I can in, in my stories and that kind of thing. So. So, yeah, I think I do. And sometimes, you know, I mean, that's what couch surfing is about, right? That's the that's the ethos behind couch surfing. That's why it started up was that people offer a free bed or a spare room or a cut sofa for free uh, in return for tales from wherever, you know. Um, and you share an information and it's a bit like the old fashioned Internet, I suppose. And it's really nice. It's a lovely way to do it and to get to know people and you make friends that way. And I guess I'm just doing it without couch surfing, although I do use that sometimes as well. But uh, I just think it's a lovely way to, uh, even when you don't speak the language, you manage to find a way. And, and sharing, a, uh, again, at risk of sounding cheesy or corny, you know, sharing a smile with someone. It's amazing how you can communicate without even knowing each other's language sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So 
Do you have a different outlook on people after meeting all different people and all the ups and downs that you've had on the trip? Do you see people in general as different? You know, yeah, I guess I do. Um, although I think I was pretty open-minded and fairly positive, although sometimes I could still be quite grumpy and go, oh, I just want to be with my dog, you know. <laughs> but that's okay too. Um, but I, I do think that most people are are good and, and that are giving and given the, given the opportunity, they will help you, you know. Um, and it's very easy to forget that. I think most people do forget that a lot of the time. And um, it's very easy to be negative. But... Uh, from what I found from, from all 53 countries, it, nothing, you know, it, it's not changed that most people, um, particularly uh, maybe because you're on your own, I don't know, or whatever, but um, whenever there's been a problem, before there's a problem, people are coming up and, and wanting to help, you know. Even in places where people have told me to stay away from those people, stay away from those people, they're dodgy, don't, don't go near them, oh, they'll rip you off, oh, they'll do this, and I always find it a challenge, you know, set myself a challenge, that's it. To go and find the nice side in people because it's always there. Well, it's, it's, I'd say 98% of the time it's there, you know. You rode a 250 Honda. Were there times when you wished you had a 650 or 1000? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, in the majority of the times I've been grateful for a small bike. I think uh, it's on the long straight roads that you can't avoid. Like through the prairies we were talking about earlier, that, that was uh, definitely somewhere I thought you know what i would love to have a thousand or you know cc or because uh, <laughs> well, the speed is i think 130 kilometers an hour i think at some points as you're crossing the prairies too yeah yeah and and but uh, argentina as well there's a couple of straights in argentina i just wanted to get through it was the most bo- yeah, route of three most boring road in the world and and i just wanted a big bike but many times but it wasn't about speed it wasn't about um you know flying through it was about pottering around and and that's what i did and um you know the bike goes you know fast enough most of the time um but it's been so good to have a small bike on the dirt roads and and a small bike to get into a dinghy and and a small bike to get into a hotel and um you know i i have to put up occasionally with the odd macho man asking me where, when I'm going to get a proper bike or, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to get a proper bike when you get off your ass and start riding around the world. And, and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it ends the conversation um, so, rather quickly, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it does, you know, but, um, you know, like I said, I wasn't out to really prove anything to anyone. And a lot of people now do see a small bike as being the, the best way to go. I'm not saying it's the best way. I'm not saying it's the perfect way. I'm not sure there is a perfect adventure bike out there still, but uh, because there's always a compromise. Whatever you choose, if you choose a big bike, you're gonna you're gonna have to think much more carefully than than I ever had to when you take that dirt track on your own. Um, you're not gonna you're not gonna take that that really sandy road necessarily, you know, um, and whatever. So, uh, but on the long straight roads. You know, I actually rode with, uh, in Namibia, I rode with, um, or from Cape Town up into Namibia, I rode with uh, Charlie Borman and his crew. He he was taking a tour up to Vic Falls. So I left them in Cape Town. I raced up to the border because my visa was running out. And then I met them again in Namibia and we rode together for four or five days. And there was some long sandy stretches and there was some slightly technical bits and a little bit of murder here and there and that kind of thing. And then there were some road sections and they were all on the Triumph Tigers or GSs. And uh, I rode with them and there was no, you know, the speed wise, there was no issue because on the technical stuff, I was flying ahead and on the, on, on the, um, on the roads, they were flying ahead and we'd end up in the same place at the same time. And a lot of the time they'd be, we'd get to the end of the day and they'd say, Oh, Steph, I, I didn't, I, I mean, I really wish I had your bike on that bit or, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they're wrestling like, with a great big bike through some technical stuff. And exactly. Yeah, that's you don't and want to wait. exactly. It, it's, it's all good. It doesn't really matter what you choose as long as you're happy with it. And, and either way, you're going to have a love hate relationship with it. So what about durability? Did you have any trouble with it? You know, the, uh, she, she broke down. Well, I say broke down. I hate, even saying I hate using that term because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't really engine wise no problem at all. Um, in Dar es Salaam in, in Tanzania, uh, the, well, the starter relay went, and uh, I ended up getting towed through the Dar es Salaam traffic, which is pretty scary um, by another motorbike, and uh, who was still filtering through the through the chaos of the traffic. And I'm like, oh, wow. yeah, do you remember that I'm here that you're towing me? 
that lack of control thing was terrifying and I never want to do that again. Um, but that was it. We changed the relay. And then my parents, as I said, my parents and a couple of friends came to meet me in France and we had a party at a place called Moto Breaks and, uh, which is like a biker's B and B. And, um, we had a party there and then the next day we, we rode off to ride back to London and we were 200 yards out of that place and uh, my engine just died. Well, it wasn't the engine. The bike just cut out completely and I was like, oh. And I'd said to my mum who was riding behind me, uh, I'd said, if I put my arm up, I need to stop because I've got a dodgy shoulder. And I said, you know, I, I need to stop. It's, it's quite painful. And I stopped 200 yards out and she was just thinking, Oh, for crying out loud, you know, like <laughs> 200 yards. <laughs> <laughs> but actually the bike had broken down. It turned out the ignition, ignition switch had gone. So, um, mm. uh, but otherwise, uh, but thankfully I had my dad who's a mechanic and uh, my other friend who's a bike mechanic as well. So, uh, you know, we just sat on the side and, and uh, waited for them to fix it, which they did with some cable ties and duct tape, you know, uh, and, it, and it got us home and... Uh, uh, and that was it. So otherwise, no other problems with that bike. It's been amazing. Well, that's all stuff that I mean, you could go at any any time. But you're saying the engine, no, no problem at all. Like you just... Um, never opened that engine up yet. No, it's never any problems at all. Well, that really says something. Because you, the, the mindset could be that you ride a smaller bike and you're going to have to work it so much harder and beat the thing to try and keep up with uh, with everything. And if that was the case, well, it certainly didn't have any effect. No, absolutely. I think it's things about all changes. We could change the oil regularly. Um, they'll, you know, those, those Honda engines will put up with anything, to be honest. So what do you plan for next? Where, where are you going tomorrow? And I mean, metaphorically speaking. Uh, well, good question. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I'm still, I'm, I'm determined to not make any decisions. I've been saying that all the way around the world going, no, I'm not committing to anything. I'm not making any decisions. Uh, and now I'm home. I'm still doing the same thing. So I, I think, um, I have um, uh, option paralysis where I actually do have a lot of options and I can't quite decide what I'm going to do. But I do have one project that I've set up, which is uh, next year in September, I'm going to be taking the first group of all women bikers to Everest Base Camp. Uh, so we're going to start in Nepal and uh, ride from Kathmandu, which will be exciting, just getting out of the city. Um along the Friendship Highway, which has just reopened, and into Tibet and then up to base camp from there. Um, so, but it's, it's an all women group. I've had a lot of guys before you ask saying, no, you can't come if you wear a wig or and a skirt. <laughs> well, wait, um, isn't that discrimination? I mean, I always you, wait for that one too. Yeah. You're saying well, us guys can't, no, you fair. can't on this one. I'm sorry. It's just tough. Just suck it up. I'm afraid, Jeez. but that we do, there are, <laughs> there are some groups that you can join as, as a guy, but on this one, and you know, I, I'm, I'm very much, uh, against the whole, um, you know, there's a lot of sort of neo-feminism stuff going on these days where people are like, oh, we must, we must sort of, you know, we, we're not victims. We don't need protecting. But I, I did learn from running the off-road school that women do learn differently and that there is a lot of, they do get, they are intimidated uh, some, sometimes by uh, having the guys around them. Well, not necessarily intimidated, but, but, but you know, if you're, if you're riding with a group of guys and as, as a woman and you drop your bike in the mud, as I said, I don't mind this personally, but the guys will come over and pick your bike up for you. Um, that's great. Lovely. Thanks very much, you know. Um, but that stops me from learning the best way from, with my abilities to pick up that bike. And that's just one example. So if you're tackling something like Everest Base Camp as a mixed group, uh, personally, I've, one other thing I did learn from the off-road school is that the women are going to get more out of it um, if they work as a group of women. So there are differences and we, we you know, um, some, in some things we're stronger and some things we're weaker. And uh, there's nothing wrong with realizing that. And um, in this case, I think it's going to be an amazing experience to, to I'm really excited about, about leading it. So, Yeah, it makes sense. Are other people riding, like, is that a regular thing to do for motorcycle tours? What, women only? No, no, I know that. No, I mean riding to oh. the, uh, the base camp. Uh, as, as far as I know, this is the only company that's doing it. And I'm working with a, a company called Nomadic Knights who, um, who do tours all over India and the Himalayas and, and many other places as well. Um, somebody that I've known for many years. Uh, so we're using their infrastructure and then, um, and then, uh, yeah, getting on with it basically. And what sort of challenges we have to overcome for that trip? 
Well, you know, most of it is actually tar, so it's only it's something like eighty percent tar, believe it or not, um, which most people find hard to believe. But um, the the altitude is going to be the hardest thing. So um, uh, if you take a group of fifteen people up to that kind of altitude, there's there's a high chance that that somebody is going to suffer from altitude sickness. But we're ready for that. So we've got paramedics with us. We've got the oxygen. We've we've got um, we've got the tablets and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be okay. I think uh, it's all about preparation and, and knowing the signs and that kind of thing. Um, but otherwise, it's going to be an amazing, uh, an amazing ride. The heights as well, I guess. You know that some of the some of the roads are going to have going to be fairly open, um, and that oh, takes a bit mean, of like, getting used. Like drop offs, like big drop offs. Yeah. yeah. So that takes a bit of getting used to. Um, it doesn't matter how many times I do it. Occasionally, I still have a, you know, a freeze. Especially on a downhill dirt road, um, you know. Sometimes I'll stop and think, "Ah, what am I doing? This is crazy!" You know. <laughs> um, so even if you do it a hundred times, I think that can be a bit of a challenge mentally, and you've got to overcome that. And and that will be the great feeling at the end that you have overcome it. Of course. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a great adventure. I'm really excited about Tibet as well. Are there still openings on that trip? There are. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll put a link on the website um, if anyone's interested in in trying to join that trip. You, you also have a book out that I want to ask you before we finish up. I do, I do have a book out. It's called um, Embrace the Cow, and it's uh, it's on iBooks. It's it's a, a digital book, so um, it's not in print, but it's on iBook and Kindle. And it's uh, uh, how to ride a world on a budget, basically. So it's hints and tips, and there's stories in there as well, and 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 photographs and all that kind of thing but uh there's a lot of tips about how to how because a lot of people ask me how how did you do it you know you must be loaded or you've got a rich dad or something but um <laughs> sadly not no <laughs> i haven't even got a rich boyfriend embrace the cow <laughs> is that a reference to your motorcycle embrace the cow no it's um i was in morocco and i, I had some berber friends after doing the tours there and the berber said to me a nomadic berber said to me um steph life is like a cow some days you get milk. Some days you just get shit. Embrace the cow. So, <laughs> and so it's a bit like adventure riding, really. You know, some days milk, some days shit. So you just got to, uh, you just got to take it all on the chin and go for it. Well, I'm gonna have to follow and see uh, what adventure you tackle next. I was gonna push you more for the ideas you're considering, but I think you're gonna be pretty tight-lipped about it. <laughs> if you'd asked me again in a week, I probably could have told you. But uh, yeah, hang <laughs> fire for that one. <laughs> And I've been speaking with Steph Jevons. You can find out more about Steph or One Steph Beyond uh, by checking our show notes at the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. We've got a link to our website in there and uh, some other information. Drop by and check that out. I just want to remind you that this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. You can drop by our website and listen to all of our episodes at www.adventureriderradio.com. We also have the Raw show on there that we do and uh, many other things. And of course, since January, as I mentioned before, we have our show notes, which we've been doing on each episode since January. So you can go and read the information that you've just heard here on the show. If you want to go back and check something, you wonder what we said, you missed something, you can uh, always go back or you can listen to it again. Now, don't forget, I mentioned at the start, we have another show out called Beyond a Shadow, www.beyondashadow.org. And of course, that link is on the right-hand side in the column on our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. My name is Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. See you next week. Hi, I'm Helge Pedersen, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 